Let's go. Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. This is the Grace for This City podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Justin, and we've got a great episode planned today. And we're going to jump right into some things. Um, you know, I've been meditating over the last several weeks on a scriptural foundation. And some of this is very basic, but I'm telling you, your 101 stuff, your foundation stuff is very important. And uh, we don't want to get away from the foundation. Listen, there are levels, if you will, um, faith to faith, glory to glory, grace upon grace, say, of uh, the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the bride and the body of Christ. These are all New Testament metaphors that are profoundly full of truth and revelation. But all that's built on a solid foundation. And uh, Jude even warns, he warned, he said um, that there was a... Um, well, let's just look at it. Go, go with me to the book of Jude. He, he said there was a gospel once delivered. Um, Jude likes to hide in here. I wasn't prepared ahead of time. Let's find Jude. Jude, where are you? Hallelujah. But uh, one chapter in the book of Jude. Well, let's see here. There, there he is. Um, here he is. Uh, let's see. That's uh, Verse 3, he said, Beloved, he said, I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you. That's very, that's very strong. That's very strong. He said, I wanted to encourage you. I wanted to exhort you. I wanted to challenge you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, you know, and you know, this is a little bit of a deviation from, from where I want to go today, but how does somebody creep in unnoticed? I mean, that, that, that phrase kind of stood, stood out to me. How in the world does somebody creep in unnoticed? Well, part of the answer goes back to we are called to be fruit inspectors. Fruit is proof. Fruit is proof. And a lot of people, there's a lot of pushback on fruit inspection. But I'm telling you, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Now, originally, uh, when that was first used, it was talking about false, false whatever, okay? Fake, phony, false, counterfeit. Um, but even among believers, uh, there is a knowing those who labor among you. And the only way you're going to know them is by observing the fruit. And a lot, like I said, there's a lot of pushback because people say, well, I don't want you to judge me. You can't judge me. No, 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 no. I'm not judging. I'm just expecting fruit. Listen, the times in which we are living in, it, it, it would be unwise to be so flippant about the people that we are associating with. We're not talking about being paranoid, uh, but we are talking about knowing those among uh, whom we labor, you know, because there's, there, there's, there's trust. Our life, um, our lives are in their hands in some ways. Now, if, if, if you talk about people in particular uh, in other nations where they don't have the freedoms that we have here. They have to work together in unity or people will go to jail, maybe forever. Some people may lose their lives if they're uh, sloppy, floppy, flippant. Um, if they 
if they don't consider uh, testing somebody's fruit or finding out if somebody is actually who they say they are, if they don't consider that a value, they could put themselves in jeopardy. Their ministries in jeopardy. They could put families in jeopardy. And uh, that would be foolish now, wouldn't it? And I think here in the United States, because there's been so much teaching on tolerance and, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't judge me, that the reality that fruit is proof has become a lost art. Like we just, we, you know, and I don't know if it's because um, we don't want to open up our own selves for inspection or accountability. I'm not sure what the reasons are, but I believe that it would be prudent of us to come back to a baseline and recognize that everybody needs to give account of the demonstration of righteousness that they're required to exhibit. All right, and this, and we're going to get there today because um, there's some there's some things that we need to remind ourselves of. All right, so Jude's saying, look, certain men have crept in unnoticed. Again, we're saying, how is somebody going to creep in unnoticed? Well, there was no fruit inspection. Okay, if somebody creeps in unnoticed, it, obviously this was a deceptive strategy here. Here, here, these men were. It says that they they they've already been marked out. These were ungodly men ungodly men. I, I mean, this is so fascinating to me that uh, that it's so probable, possible, actual, that in the church today, I'm talking about the church at large, that there are ungodly men and women who have crept in with a perverse message. Now, we saw some of this. We recognized some of this over the last several years. There were several uh, theories that were being injected not only in the public square, but a lot of pressure was coming on churches to embrace these critical theories. And um, it, 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 it's like, where did these people come from? Like how all of a sudden was this such a major point of discussion? Like how, how all of a sudden where entire denominations being shifted, it seems like over a period of months, to some of these new ideologies. Well, a lot of it comes down to the fact that uh, men crept in, maybe over a period of time, unnoticed. And if there was no consideration of fruit inspection, no evaluation over the message, if there was no uh, contemplation that maybe there was a drift from the gospel that was once delivered, well, then there you go. There's, there's your setup. There's your bait and switch over time. How many churches right now are in a critical situation like where there could be a flip-flop any moment from a once delivered truth? Uh, we're living in some very interesting times, friends. Uh, personally, uh, I've never experienced anything like the days that we are living in now. And it's um, it's both exciting. Uh, I mean, I'm thrilled. I mean, I'm having a, the time of my life, but yet at the same time, fully prepared to have to uh, uh, sh- uh, uh, make sure that our foundations are sure, that our protections are in place, that we are wise, we are shrewd, uh, that our staffs, our rods um, are within reach to defend uh, 
the gospel, but to also defend the flock in which God has made us overseers. There are ravenous people out there, friends. Uh, and at the end of the day, they care nothing about you. They only care about themselves. The Bible says that these, these charlatans, these fakers, these phonies, these wolves, these false this, false that, counterfeits, that they, they come in and they seek to scatter and draw away the, the sheep unto themselves that they may devour them. Okay, so they have selfish ambitions and motives behind the scenes. But he said, these ungodly men, they crept in, and watch this, they turned the grace of our Lord God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not that they're just flat out blaspheming. What, what he's saying here is that this perversion of the grace gospel or the gospel of grace or the grace message, it denies Jesus if it's a perversion because Jesus is grace. It's, it's not just this message. It's a person. Grace is a person. He said there was a gospel once delivered to you. People have come in and they've perverted this gospel of grace and it denies Jesus. Again, the reason why it denies Jesus is because he is the person of grace. It says we beheld him full of truth and grace. All right. So I want, so I want to touch a little bit on a few thoughts here. And let me get these uh, pulled up. Sorry, I didn't have these pulled up before I jumped into this today. And uh, let's see where we go. Hallelujah. Uh, let's go to Titus chapter 2. Oh, it's a good day today. Hallelujah. Huh, friends? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for helping us today, Father. He's going to help us. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. All right, Titus chapter 2, and look at verse 1. I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified. And it says, But as for you, teach what is fitting and becoming to sound or wholesome doctrine, that is, the character and right living that identify true Christians, that identify true Christians. Again, let me bring this up because, you know, if we're going to ruffle any feathers, let's get them really roughed up. There's a lot of pushback. I mean, I don't think it's nothing new, um, but it may have surged again. Okay, it seems like things comes, come in cycles, right? There's a lot of pushback for anything that does any kind of inspection. Now, there's several New Testament passages where um, the parable would include like the master having given stewardship over, over something and even as this idea that the master has gone away for a time and then in the parable the master returns and when the master returns he checks up on his things okay his things <laughs> Man, i tell you uh you know if you are not the head the boss the owner the employer uh, if you are just an employee, if you're part of the body, if you're a team member, you know, if you're not a team leader, if you're a team member, uh, if you're working in some somebody else's stuff, if whatever you're doing, you know, none of the items, the peripherals, or whatever belong to you, then that means they belong to someone else. And what's fascinating to me, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's funny. It's it's sad, funny. It's 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 very disturbing, funny. But people have this idea that they can do with whatever they want with somebody else's stuff. And, and, but, but yet 
uh, it's not your stuff. And if you are working for another, there is no way that it's allowable for you to do exactly as you want with something that does not belong to you. Like th these are basic principles. Like we're, we're teaching my children, right? Like sub 10 years old, like these basic principles of, Hey, if that's not yours, uh, it's not for you to decide what to do with it. You need to inquire. You need to ask permission. You know, you know, my own kids are just using stuff as if it was theirs and it belongs to someone else. And then when there's problems, we're having to say, well, what, what, what did you think? You just reached up and grabbed something that didn't belong to you. Like we're, we're in this really interesting phase of life right now where it's like some of these basic principles, foundational things have been shaken friends. Um, and there's reasons for that. Like it's totally antichrist is to rock the foundations to inject, interject any kind of chaotic element, idea, ideology, concept that begins to erode away at the foundation that begins to strip away traditional, uh, uh, traditionally held or biblical values. All right. So back on topic here. So there, there's this interesting idea that here, the master, he has given into, uh, our stewardship, certain things, and then he's going off to do business and then he's going to return and there will be an inspection of what his things his things in particular i'm thinking of this one parable where uh, uh he comes back to the steward of the field or the vineyard or whatever the situation was in matthew there and uh there was this particular plant that was not producing this tree this um this bush or whatever it just wasn't producing and so the master said i want hey i want you to cut it down and throw it into the fire. Now, the steward of the field, here, here's the power of intercession. Okay, we see a principle of this throughout the scriptures, but here's another powerful one. And he said, no, 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 give me another year. Let me work with it. Give me another year. If it still doesn't produce, then it'll be cut down and discarded. Now, there's so much truth on multiple layers, but for our purposes today, the master expects there to be fruit that identifies like there is no way in the world that it is appropriate for somebody to just say hey i'm a believer but yet exhibit or demonstrate or produce no fruit in accordance with what they claim to be that there there is no scriptural support uh, in fact if you think of when jesus even cursed the fig tree uh there was to be identifying fruit. All right. Now on a big picture here, this is very important because part of this perversion of grace that Jude talks about is resistant to any kind of fruit inspection. Um, it, 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 it says that the master would be okay with me um, if I bear no fruit at all, if, if I have no identifying or if I demonstrate or exhibit no fruit in accordance to that which I have claimed to become, the perversion of grace says that means nothing. And even if you are a steward over me, you have no right to inspect me. In fact, the perversion of grace even denies any kind of pruning. You know, there's a pruning that, that happens. And even if you were 
producing um, certain um, certain things. There may be strategic pruning in order to gain the most output. You know, this is common practice in gardens. You know, there's these um, certain shoots or offshoots that if you just let them go, it'll draw away from the production of fruit in other areas. And so pruning, pruning, trimming, examining, going through, this is husbandry, actually. Um, and that concept should, or at least used to, but still should, permeate everything that we are doing. There is the master of the vineyard, uh, the vine dresser. And he's going through and he's examining, he's looking at every branch. He's examining where the fruit's going to be produced. He is, he is uh, uh, strategically maneuvering through to make sure that there is fruit being produced. Any tree uh, that does not bear fruit will uh, get worked with for a period of time. We saw there where the intercessor cries out and says, no, 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 give me more time. But after a period of time, if there's no fruit produced, guess what? That fruit is cut off and discarded, or that branch or tree is plucked up, whatever, and discarded. Listen, this is a sobering concept, but um, there there is need to be reminded of how this works, in particularly because there are people that are producing no fruit, and there are some who are protecting them but I'm telling you friend if you protect somebody from the pruner or if you protect somebody from the master's stated objective that there must be fruit and fruit that remains if if you protect somebody from that you may call it harsh but if you're protecting somebody from that it doesn't it doesn't help them in fact it it, it actually sets them up for serious failure listen if you claim to be a Christian, you must produce fruit in accordance with your claim. Because when the master returns and he begins to inspect, if he doesn't find fruit, that branch or that tree will be uprooted and discarded. And I think there's such a major, uh, there's a travesty happening right right now because people's theology has drifted some from the expectation of what the bible says will be visible tangible uh fruit that manifests when somebody is born again all right so here he's saying in titus let's go back there titus 2 he said we teach along these lines that there is a doctrine um that will bring about the revelation, the understanding, and the clarity that we need in order to identify right living or the character that exemplifies right living, and then there will be the visible identity begin to arise that will mark what a true believer or who a true believer really is. Listen, again, if we go back to Jude, and ungodly men snuck in and mingled among everybody. How in the world did these people hide that long? You know, that's my question today. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I got super eyes. Uh, I mean, it's very possible that we could get hoodwinked. What I'm saying is we should go back to the scriptures and examine uh, because the truth is in there. The 
tools and the equipping that will help us identify if somebody has snuck in with a dangerous, twisted gospel. I mean, it's not even a gospel. It would be a perversion. But what I'm saying is a twisted doctrine, especially in the matter or the topic or the subject of grace. Now, my, my ministry and our podcast is not an apologetics one, um, and we don't debate, meaning I don't go around telling people what I think or what I feel is wrong about it, everyone else. That, I, I don't even know if that's legitimate ministry, but I don't have that. Um, we don't talk about who's doing this and they should be doing this different, or we don't talk about that group or this group. Now, occasionally we will bring up differences, but we try and keep it anonymous. We're not calling names. We're, we, we don't even call names of groups or denominations or whatever that do things differently than we do. Like in the course of conversation, we would acknowledge differences from time to time. But I'm saying my, my ministry is to not call all that out. Okay. And that's not, not one of my intention today. But I'm saying is that the Bible says that we need to be aware forewarned is forearmed. We need to be aware. And right now, friends, there is a very popular, um, very resounding message of grace, but we need to go back and make sure that it harmonizes with and aligns with the scripture. If not, then we might be getting into what Jude warned, cautioned, and exhorted us about is to be aware of this perversion of grace, this perversion. And he says that they made this, this, this perversion uh, gives cause to lewdness, licentiousness, or lawlessness. And uh, so Titus brings some perspective here. Let's go to verse two. Titus two, two. Again, he says, stay on track with the appropriate doctrine that is sound and wholesome. And it is a uh, fitting to build into the character of, for right living. And also this doctrine is appropriate and useful in identifying true Christians. Look, look at verse two. He says, urge the older men to be temperate, venerable, serious, sensible, self-controlled, and sound in the faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness and patience of Christ. Verse three, bid the older women similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service, not slanderers or slaves to drink. Now, one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up is to counter this, this, this idea that grace says, hey, listen, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven today. And no matter what I do, I'm going to be forgiven tomorrow. There's a scripture that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. My spiritual father, Brother Hagen, he said he always approached the Lord softly, meaning he kept a posture where uh, he were reverence, protocol, decorum. Uh, he maintained an appropriate honor to the Lord. The Lord is very gracious, very kind. He is long-suffering, oh, so patient. But you can abuse that. It is possible to abuse that. And uh, Brother Hagen had this paradigm where he didn't, he wanted to remain in a place of self-control and not abuse 
the privilege that the Lord has given us to come before him boldly. One of my spiritual mothers, Miss Brendan Brem Kruko, she, she said this in, in reference to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Yes, yes, yes. But she said this. She said, I'll come boldly to the throne of grace, but with my moccasins of humility on. Do you understand what she's saying there? Do you understand the heart posture? You know, one of the seven spirits, uh, you know, the Old Testament talks about that, is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. You know, that's that's one of the, the spirits of wisdom and counsel, the fear of the Lord. And part of what we're talking about here is there is this attitude that really is not reverential. It is not holy. It is prideful. And it expects God to do a thing no matter how I live. And it's, it's a real deception to think that you could claim to be holy, righteous, uh, a son or daughter of the king of kings, the, the, the most holy, <laughs> the almighty, and engage in any and every kind of activity. I mean, they're including all kinds of sexual perversion. Said, oh, it's no big deal. God will forgive you. Listen, that is approaching grace without the moccasins of humility on. And I'm not so sure that that's going to work out for people in the end. <laughs> you know, the scriptures have to have to harmonize. And, um, you know, uh, Brother Hagin said, said this, that most error is the result of an overemphasized truth. And so if you overemphasize, hey, God's, God will forgive you. Of course, they they in this kind of perversion of this grace message, they're they're telling people you don't even have to seek repentance. You you don't even have to ask for forgiveness anymore. It was a one and done. I'm saying that kind of twisting, what does it do to the heart of a person? Where does the honor go? Where does the fear of the Lord go? When you live and act in such a way that it doesn't matter what what you do, he's going to do something for you regardless. Like, I mean, I get it because there is a finished work, but we're working this out with great fear and trembling. He is so gracious, and we're not coming to him in terror, but I think we need to revisit what what does honor look like? What does reverence look like? How would we respond to somebody who rescued us we could not have done it without a Savior. Have we forgotten how low we were? Like he reached down to the very depths of hell to rescue us. Have we forgotten what great of a price that he paid? I think there would be some restraint. There would be some decorum. There would be some protocol, some self-restraint in how we approach such a great deliverer not out of works, but out of honor, that we would remind ourselves how lost we were without him. So Titus here is probably one of those books that isn't read very often anymore because it is very explicit in do's and don'ts. And see, the perversion of grace says, you don't tell me, I'm not under the law. I'm not under do's and don'ts. I'm in freedom now. Well, yeah, you're free to develop as a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're free now 
to walk in the light of truth uh, rather than in the darkness of perversion and lawlessness. Lawlessness is always attributed with the devil, with darkness, with demonic ideas. So if lawlessness is devilish, what's the opposite? Well, light would be restraint. It would be truth, true freedom. These are deceptives, uh, deception, lies, trickery. Anything that, that says do this in the dark, you might in the light say, no, we don't do that. Like the opposite, right? <laughs> so he says this, tell, tell the, old, the older ladies, ah, uh, don't be slanderous or slaves to drink. It sounds to me like there needs to be some restraint there. They are to give good counsel and be good teachers of what is right and noble. Verse four, so that they will wisely train the young women to be sane and sober of mind. Very interesting. Look at this. To be temperate, to be disciplined, and to love their husbands and their children. Verse five, to be self-controlled, to be chaste. That's a word that needs to come back, chaste. To be homemakers, to be good-natured, kind-hearted, adapting, and subordinating themselves to their husbands so that the word of God may not be exposed to reproach, blasphemed, or discredited. In a similar way, urge the younger men to be self-restrained and behave prudently, taking life seriously. And verse 7, and show your own self. So he's saying this, this is what this doctrine would espouse to. It would include admonishing uh, people in this way. And now he's saying, now apply it to yourself. He said, to show your own self in all respect to be a pattern and a model of good deeds and works, teaching what is unadulterated, showing gravity, having the strictest regard for truth and purity of motive. That's very key there. With dignity and seriousness. Verse eight, and let your instruction be sound and fit, wise, and wholesome, vigorous, irrefutable, and above censure, so that the opponent may be put to shame, finding nothing discrediting or evil to say about us. Verse 9, tell the bond servants to be submissive to their masters, to be pleasing and give satisfaction in every way. Warn them not to talk back or contradict. Oh, my goodness. People's mouths are unhinged today. I don't want to get on, you know, I want to get off into something that just agitates me, but the lack of control self-control um you know if you go to the fruits of the spirit one of the fruits of the spirit is self self-control we it's it's already been covered three or four times right here in in titus chapter two people are just completely there 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 is no filter not only is there no filter there's no restraint mechanism you know the proverb says uh put a guard over your mouth it says to cover your mouth you know, if something's going to come out of your mouth that's not right, he said, guard that thing. Put a stop to it. Um, one thing that would shut a lot of people up is this truth right here. Have no opinion where you have no responsibility. Have no opinion where you have no responsibility. That would shut up about 90% of all this chitter-chatter, this idle talk this waste that is coming out of people's mouths the judgment you know if we, if we want to dial into it in this 
caution, this warning maybe that this podcast is, <laughs> um, you know, this arrestment, you know, that if we're getting sucked up in this lawlessness that is abounding, again, what I'm saying is one way we're going to know if, if we ourselves have bit into this deceptive twisting of the gospel of grace is to just do an, evalu- an, an, an evaluation. If you have an attitude that says, no, nobody's going to tell me what to do, you've been deceived by the perversion of the false grace message. Because grace is actually restraining us. Uh, we'll see this here in a second um, when we get to verse 11 here in Titus chapter 2. But, you know, people need to consider that the Bible says you will be judged for every idle word. What is idle? Idle. Because a lot of people think idle is inactivity or passivity in terms of doing nothing. That's actually not the uh, or the uh, full, thank you, I was trying to think of the words, that is not the full definition of idle. Let me give you a functioning definition of what idle is. Idleness is purposeless. So idleness is not necessarily no activity. Idleness would be purposeless activity. Jesus said you'll be judged for every idle word, meaning every word that came out of your mouth that did not have an appropriate purpose associated with it. Words are powerful. Words are useful. Uh, We must use them, but we must know how to use them. And some people, there is so much filth flying out of their mouth. And I'm talking about people in the church. And when or if you might address them on it, the attitude that comes back at you, like this is how you know somebody is uh, being deceived on a false grace concept. Because when you try and encourage them restraint, they push back with lawlessness, okay? They will not accept restraint because the perversion of grace encourages lawlessness, meaning I don't have any restraint. I'm free. Galatians says it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. But in Ephesians chapter 4, He said, put on Christ. What did Jesus say? He said, learn of me, for I'm lowly and humble. And then he said, I only do what I see my father do, and I only say what I hear my father say. Jesus literally learned obedience through the things that he suffered. What did he suffer? Submission. The suffering was coming under someone else's mission. I I think it was Sam. I had Sam Spellman as a guest on the podcast recently, and he was talking about what is submission. What's coming under someone else's mission? It's 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 a bond servant. I I literally willfully have given myself to be a slave or a bond servant to another. Well, listen, lawlessness does not embrace that at all. Lawlessness says I'm not a slave, man. I'm free. I can do what I want. <laughs> well. You are actually born again in order to represent yourself as a, as a bond servant. Now, uh, the Father says, Jesus says, in, to that response, he says, because of that, I don't call you slave. 
I call you friend. But you have to understand what he is calling a friend to him. He is calling that act or that demonstration of servitude his friend. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Friends, the world is in a mess right 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 now. And but here's the here's here's the amazing thing. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus said that he will use the base and the lowly things to pull down the high and lofty things. People think by engaging in this I do what I want to do, like somehow that's empowering, actually that's diminishing. Jesus said the greatest will grab the towel uh, get on their knees and serve. Listen, there's something profoundly, maybe even mysteriously, empowering when we go low. Not the other way around. He took on the restraint of the light. He took on the restraint of godliness. Jesus himself took on the restraint of holiness and became the most powerful king of kings and lord of lords that will ever exist hallelujah restraint is empowering friends it's not disempowering that's a perversion of grace all right now let's keep reading here because i want to get to this particular thought here uh let's see here tell the tell the servants to be submissive that's what he said he said verse verse 10 tell them don't steal stuff <laughs> That's funny. That, I mean, that's actually, that's actually funny on a lot of levels because here, again, this is Titus chapter 2, New Testament. And wrapped up in this, right, all scriptures have to harmonize. All right, so there's other scriptures that we could bring in, in particularly like the one where Jesus said, I only give you one commandment, which is what? To love. Uh, love God. Okay, and the second one he said is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Here, this is harmonizing with that gospel of grace, which is love God and love others. But here, he says, don't steal. Tell them, do not steal. Well, because that's encapsulated in the love command. But but I find it funny that he brought it out. Well, do not steal is one of the Ten Commandments. You know, and you hear hear people, there, there, there's such a confusion, all right? This is why we've got to get back to the basic foundational, the once delivered truths that was given to us that are not difficult and are not hard to understand. But people have tried to parse these things out in order to get away with lawlessness. So the, the confusion and the complexity has come in with doctrines that support lawlessness while still trying to maintain the appearance of Christianity. But here he's saying, tell them don't steal. Hallelujah. If somebody heard heard that day, hey, I'm not under law. I'm not under law. I'm not, I'm not under law. That's the law, friend. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. Well, yeah. And grace right here, the person of grace is telling you don't steal. And don't take things, even if it's a small value. <laughs> I guess that was like, okay. He's like, well, you know, this is, you know, this was from the dollar store. They, they, they won't mind if I steal it. <laughs> but he goes on to say, he says, but prove themselves. Now, listen, you may not be a, 
a uh, literal in in the sense like contextually literally a bond servant but you're a bond servant today notice what it says here if you're a bond servant you got to prove yourself true and loyal hallelujah you got to prove it this has nothing to do with me um but in in my office i have a plaque hanging on the wall because of a man and woman of god that i served for many 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 years and they awarded me with this plaque and on it it says loyal and they they go on and they wrote in there uh, how i had demonstrated loyalty listen i did a podcast um some time ago um uh, it's called leadership dynamics okay I, I don't remember the episode number but you can look it up it's leadership dynamics of head and body and i talk about how one day uh, as i was serving my pastor him and i both uh, grabbed a table he was on one end and i was on the other both of our hands were on this table this was a test who was going to yield to who was there going to be a power struggle over that listen loyalty prove yourself truly loyal recognizes this is not my stuff that's not my table this isn't my place this isn't my ministry i'm just a bond servant now a lot of people don't like that because you know hey everybody's equal right you know there's there's none of this stuff we're all equal and if you don't go with my idea then i'm out of here even though we're all all equal you know so if you don't do it my way then i'm gone even though we're equal but you know it's going to be my way you're know, you going to serve me not the other way around even though we're all equal <laughs> but i remember that was one test of, of several where i was uh where the lord was examining whether or not i was going to pass this test will you be faithful in another man's if not who will give you your own the truth is nobody will if you haven't totally giving up embraced restraint friends this is what he's saying here and who's who's talking to us here this is wholesome doctrine where which doctrine which administration the administration of the spirit remember corinthians talks about there was the ministry of condemnation of which we are not ministers is what we were said but we have been made worthy invited is another way we say invited into the ministry of reconciliation or the ministry of the spirit or the ministry which gives life we're not part of the administration you know we're not in the levitical priesthood we are part of you know our work doesn't have to do with condemnation our work has to do with life and here he's saying grace is telling us you're going to have to be proven you're going to have to demonstrate these qualities these are um uh, characteristics or fruit that will prove whose you are and of what ministry you have been brought up under anything that rejects restraint or anything that rejects a subordination a submission anything that challenges you to uh mold or pattern or conform yourself after a 
prescribed, um, uh, you know, to model yourself after this and not that or this and not that. People are rejecting that. But what we're saying is here, grace is demonstrated. Grace is ministering to us and saying, hey, look, here is the pattern. When Jesus said, learn of me, we're learning of him right here. He was dignified and serious. Not that he didn't have fun, but he was wise and wholesome. He, he, he conducted himself in a particular way that demonstrated visibly. You know, even when he returned to his disciples, he said, touch me, feel me. Listen, this is the real deal. I mean, this is, this is tangible here. And so should our lives be as well. So don't steal. Don't even take dollar store stuff, but prove yourselves to be loyal, truly loyal, and entire, entirely reliable and faithful throughout so that in everything they may be an ornament and do credit to the teaching which is from and about God our Savior. Again, all of this is instruction in right behavior, action. These are codes of conduct. This is proper living, etc. because verse 11 right here. Look at this. Titus 2, 11. All of that previous was because the grace of God has come forward, it says, and has appeared. And not only did this grace deliver us from sin and offer eternal salvation for all mankind. Look, look at verse 12, this same grace, the same grace, the same grace that saved you, the same one that provided for the forgiveness of your sins so that you could go on and become a son and daughter of the most high. Verse 12, it's trained us or it is training us. We could say in what or to do what? right here, to reject and renounce all ungodliness, irreligion, worldly passionate desires, to live discreet. <laughs> Jesus, help us. What is discreet? I don't think anybody even knows that. Let me just look, look that up really quick. What, let, let's, let, let's just get, let's Google it. Okay, what is discreet? Like this is a, this is a lost art careful and circumspect in one's speech or actions, especially in order to avoid causing offense or to gain an advantage. <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> help us. Uh, here's a second one. In intentionally unobtrusive. Intentionally unobtrusive, not obtrusive. Wow. Low-key, understated, subdued. Some other sim, uh, synonyms, circumspect, cautious, guarded, closed-lipped, closed-lipped, closed-lipped. Oh, Jesus, help us. Grace is teaching us this. Grace isn't do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Some people think grace is, hey, if it feels good, do it. Oh, yeah. If it feels good, do it. Because you're forgiven. You're forgiven. So just do whatever. You're forgiven. What a perversion, friends. We're, grace is actually teaching us to be temperate, to be self-controlled. Now, okay, what is the self that it's referring to here? Because this is to born-again 
believers. So the idea here is that you have a brand new spirit. This isn't just a cover-up. You have a brand new spirit. You are born again, okay? Meaning the inner man is brand new. It's a new creation now, one that has never existed before. You are born of the word and the spirit now. So there, there is perfection. You're one with God there. What is all this doing? Now he's saying you, because, because of that born again spirit, there will be a desire. There will be a want to. In fact, let me pause there for just a second. And let's say this. Uh, I'm thinking of two, two ways just right off the top of my head that um, uh, somebody will know that they're born again. Okay. Romans says that the Holy Spirit himself, the Spirit himself, the one that just recreated the inner man, the Holy Spirit is the one, you, is, uh, the one that is utilized in causing the Spirit to be born again. He says that's that Spirit, this is Romans, the Spirit himself will bear witness with the born-again person that they are born again. Listen, there's a lot of people trying to tell people they're born again. Listen, they don't need you to tell them. They don't need you to tell them because the Holy Spirit himself is bearing witness at the moment of conversion. Don't talk somebody into that. You don't need to. Holy Spirit, in fact, they need to know. They need to have that conversation with Holy Ghost themselves. And listen, if nobody... Uh, can express the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that they're born again, there's a good chance they're probably not. They Listen, it's a disservice for you and I to say, no, 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 trust me, trust me, trust me, I know you're born again. No, 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 listen, if they don't know they're born again, they're not born again. The Bible says in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with them it happened to you, didn't it? Like you knew you were born again. How did you know that? Because the Bible told you that the Holy Spirit said, hey, you're a child now. You're born again. All things have become new. Like you had an inner, you had an inner witness that something changed about you. No one told you. Nobody told you you were saved. You knew when you were born again. There are some people that may not have been born again yet. And there's all kinds of people trying to tell them that they are. If they don't know, there's a good chance they're not. Now, here's here's the disservice. Because if you try and coerce them or manipulate them to go along with, you know, your, I don't know what it is. I mean, whatever you need from them play acting or faking. But if you coerce or manipulate them into go along with that, listen, friends, when the day comes and they're not born again, they ain't going. Don't try and convince somebody they're born again. If they're not, they will know as this is what I'm saying. They will know. Yeah. Yeah. People say, well, you know, they prayed. I know they're, born again. Well, do, do, do they think they're born again? Now I get it there. You know, there may be a strategy of the enemy lying to them, but you know, it's not a bad thing for them to visit the altar for several weeks. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Does it embarrass you that they're going to the altar more than once? I get it. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, but, but listen to what I'm saying. It, it's, it's not going to hurt them to go to the altar to make sure they will know. You won't know. They will know. I mean, you might have a witness, but I'm saying they will know. They need to know. They must know the decision that they've made. All right, then the second way, at least I'm thinking of right now, that somebody will know that they're born again. First way is Holy Spirit bears witness with them. The second way, John, uh, first, first John tells us, you know you've crossed from death into life because you have love for the brethren. Now, this is very important. Because that is in there because of what happened with Cain and Abel. And God did something in the new creation, made it so unmistakable and integrated it so, um, I'm trying to think of how to say it. He put it, he made it part of the beginning because of what Cain did to Abel. That when somebody is born again now, he said one of the first things he does is he begins to minister love for brothers. And, and we're not saying that excludes sisters, but for the brethren. There's something, in fact, it goes it, it, you know, in that whole passage, several passages there, but or at least a couple, dealing with that hatred Cain had for his brother. Now, we're talking about all the way in, in the beginning, God did something now in the new birth there was going to be love for the brethren. One way you know you're born again is because the Holy Spirit told you. You, you, you will not have to try and convince somebody because Holy Spirit has already talked to them. The second thing is there will be fruit. There will be like, man, I hated everybody, but for some reason, after I got born again, after I accepted Jesus, after I prayed, they may not fully understand all the processes, Okay. But they may say, like, man, after I prayed, I just like, man, I, I just love everybody now. I'm telling you, that's one way you know. All of a sudden, love. Wow, something's coming out of me. Why? Because Romans said, when you were born again, the Father put his love in you. He, 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 he poured some of his love into your heart, kind of like primed the pump. And because the New Testament is built and based on the outflow of the Father's love, that's one way that you will know. That's one way you and I will know if somebody's truly crossed from death in the life is because there's a love coming out of them. It doesn't mean they still don't get irritated or frustrated. That's another conversation we're talking about the actions or the deeds that are in the flesh. We're, we're, we're talking about something has changed in them. Man, they used to be so hateful, but whoa, they're, they're, they're not anymore. That's one way you will know. So he says this, let's, let's wrap it up here. He said, this grace teaches you to be self-controlled. The true grace, true grace says you got to renounce ungodliness. True grace does not make exceptions for sexual things. Uh, true grace doesn't make, doesn't lower the standard. Grace does not lower the standard because grace isn't mercy. Grace maintains the standard and then 
empowers you to fulfill it. Love being the primary empowerment for you to not break, break laws. It says it's trained us to reject and renounce ungodliness, irreligion, worldly passions, desires. Grace, grace tells you this to reject wrong desires and to live discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout. This great, the, the, you know, attending church is not the epitome. But, well, I don't even want to say that because I don't want to try and link two things that are not linked. But let me say it like this. We are told explicitly, grace is telling us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Several ways you can do that. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to make the brick and mortar the uh, pinnacle. But, um, but again, uh, everything must harmonize. And so we talk about the gifts that he's given. He talked about the pastors. Uh, you can... You need a pastor. Let me say it like that. And that pastor can be found uh, maybe in a place without a steeple. Okay? So we're not we're not trying to make the established building the pinnacle here. You know, it's not the ultimate thing. What I'm saying is if you take everything in harmony, but you know somebody has bit into a f- perversion of grace when they think they can be a lone ranger, when they're just off to themselves and they don't have accountability. They don't have another man's or woman's, okay, that they're serving, that they've given themselves to. They don't recognize a pastor. Listen, somebody that doesn't have a pastor, that's problematic. Um, it is. It's just problematic. In Jeremiah, he, 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 he said he was calling people into their folds, into their place, into their body where they could be knit and fit. And he said, I'm, I'm going to appoint responsible shepherds there. So you need to find a place where there's a responsible shepherd. But the bigger picture is you're a part of the body. He calls you. He places you where he sees fit. And if he's called you some somewhere, but you're only showing up 10% of the time, that's problematic. And then if somebody encourages you or tries to hold you accountable to your place, Ephesians, uh, let's turn there, Ephesians um, Let's get there. Let me show you this. Ephesians. Listen, I don't have time to cover absolutely every angle of this, but Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. See, you have a supply and uh, you are not in sole control of that supply. Your head, ultimately Jesus is, He's placing you in bodies. There's lots of bodies all over. He's calling you. He's placing you into these bodies because he's the one orchestrating uh, the fitting. And if you've been called to a place, but you're only there 10% of the time, listen, that's problematic. And if anybody encourages you, brings up accountability that, hey, we need your, your supply with a good attitude. We need your supply with discreetness. You know, we need your supply with enthusiasm. And you say, no, 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 I'm under grace. I'm not under law. No, you are not under grace. You are un, under a perversion of grace that embraces lawlessness. And I'm telling you, that's to your own own destruction, friend. And uh, there, there, there is accountability for a reason. It's strategic accountability in these days, friends. 
And uh, don't be seduced into thinking it's okay for you to be out here as a lone ranger doing whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. Nobody can judge you. Nobody can judge you. Nobody can inspect you. Nobody can inspect you. You know, they're all charlatans, charlatans everywhere. Listen, you're seduced, friend. Uh, there are healthy places. There are responsible shepherd. There are tremendous people. Uh, you just need to locate them. God will, in fact, he's already located them for you is, is, is the thing. You're not even responsible to locate it yourself. Just follow him. He's already got your spot marked out. Praise the Lord. So you need to get involved. Grace says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Grace says there are men and women who've been appointed to watch over your souls. Grace says, go and submit yourself. That, that's, the, that, that's what grace says. Grace says in Romans 12, 1, offer yourselves, your physical body, as a living sacrifice. Present it to another in order that you may be used unto righteous things. All right, friends, I think we're out of time, but I want to close with one last thought here. Hallelujah. I'm going to go ahead and start that to remind myself. Here we go. Go to 1 John. Let's turn over into here. Let's close with, with this. I think it's 1 John 3. Yes, it is. 1 John 3, verse 7. It says this, little children. And so this is a very, um, what he's about to say is really strong. But he, but but he's drawing in like a good father to his child, going to say, listen to me. You know, Proverbs, it says, listen, listen. Remember that? I mean, so many verses in Proverbs start out with listen, 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 my son, listen, my daughter, listen, my children. Here he says, in effect, he's saying, listen up. I've got some wisdom I want to share with you. He says, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. The opposite of that would be he who practices unrighteousness is unrighteous. Let no one deceive you. These, this is very cut and dry. It's very black and white. It's very simple. There must be fruit that testifies of or give, gives credence to the claim of an inward change. Then he goes, goes down here. He says in verse, verse 10, he says, In this, very evident, in this is manifest the children of God and the children who are not of God. He says... Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. Hallelujah, friends. Oh, thank you, Lord. Well, so um, interesting days we're living in, huh? Hallelujah. Hey, if we can help you in any way, it would be our honor to do so. Several ways you can reach, reach out to us particularly for prayer. That's, you know, I don't know what all we can do, but uh, one thing we can do is come into agreement with you. The power of agreement, friends, is powerful. Hallelujah. And so if you would like, in particularly, somebody to agree with you concerning a situation in your life, we would be honored to do that. Several ways you can reach out to us. You can send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv or call us 870-741-9099. I want to say thank you to all of those who have partnered with us through prayer. We believe that prayer is powerful. 
and it's making tremendous power available unto this podcast. It's a it's it's setting up the atmosphere for the word to go forth. But if you'd like to also financially support in some way, we are thankful. We thank you in advance. It's very helpful. There's some costs associated with doing this. And so if you'd like to participate in that way, several ways you can do that. You can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. That's www.gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Or if you are in the United States, you can text to give 84321. That's 84321. Follow the prompts. Or you can mail a check. P.O. Box 7, Harrison, Arkansas, 72602. Listen, friends, this has been a real joy today. And until next time, be blessed.